Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. When Daniel's visions had come to an end, and when his life and his book had finished being penned, that son of man had still not come for them. For as the visions promised, God's kingdom would come long after Daniel and his friends. It would come after the Persians, Medes, Greeks, and Babylonians. For even though Israel was back in their land, they were still waiting for their savior. They were still waiting for the son of man. He would not reach his goal through furnaces, lions, dens, or amassing armies and gold. Instead, he would transform a cross into his throne. Good morning, good morning. How are you guys today? All right, I like to see it. I love to hear it. I see some of you rocking our new merch today. Thanks for buying that. That's so, that's so amazing. Uh, we are in Daniel season two. Now, if it sounds today like I am yelling at you on this side of the room, it's because we only have one speaker, one set of speakers working. So this side's working. This side is not. So if I, it sounds like I'm yelling at you, I'm not really yelling at you. But if it sounds like I'm yelling at you, I really am yelling at you, okay? Um, I know that worship is kind of hard with only one set of speakers. I want to say thanks to the tech team for making it work. We appreciate you guys. That wasn't working right this morning, so we'll get through it. Look, this, this building is about 15 years old, and so we are in the process of trying to, to freshen some things up. We have technical needs that we're still having to fix. We're, we've been working on the lobby, and there, that's still uh, just a process. We're getting more stuff in in the lobby. Our family room is finally open. Thanks to you for joining us in the family room today, but we're trying to turn some things around on this campus, but it just, it takes time, and, and uh, things are expensive too, so we just have to prioritize that list of things. But welcome to South Valley. My name is Ricky Hemi. Thanks for joining us. We are in Daniel season two, life in the end. I'm going to do a quick little recap, and we'll jump into today, today's sermon. So in season one, we learned that in 605 BC, Daniel and other teenagers like him were kidnapped, forced into exile by an evil king named Nebuchadnezzar. And we learn that Daniel and his friends remained in this land of, of Babylon for 70 years. And for 70 years, they faithfully served under three wicked kings. The first was Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king of Babylon, known for his hanging gardens. The second was Belshazzar, the guy that hosted the naughty party. You guys remember that? And he was the one who lost the kingdom. And finally, Cyrus. Cyrus was king of Persia. He had kings that were under him like Darius. And so we're actually going to talk about Darius next week. So Daniel and his friends served under these three wicked kings. And last week we learned that the book of Daniel is made up of two halves, which is why we've broken it down into two seasons. The first half, chapters one through six, contains narratives from the lives of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They show Daniel and his friends serving their pagan masters loyally as the prophet Jeremiah commanded them to do, yet without compromising their greater loyalty to God. They were great citizens of Babylon, even though Babylon was a wicked nation. And they did all that they were asked to do. They worked hard with their hands. They were faithful and loyal to the king unless it meant disobeying God. 
which is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up in a fiery furnace and why Daniel ended up in a den of lions. Well, God came through. God was with them even through all of those trials. And the first half of the book is the book that pastors, preachers, kids ministry leaders, they love to talk about the first half of the book. But guess what happens to the second half? Everyone just skips it. And we learned last week why it would be easy to skip the second half of the book because the second half contains apocalyptic visions of the future, the last days, the end of the world. Everyone wants to talk about the end of the world, but if you want to learn about the last days, it takes a lot of work on your part to spend time in the Word and to listen to the Spirit and to learn history. It's not easy to, to interpret apocalyptic scriptures. Well, this last half contains visions designed to reassure God's people that in spite of their present persecution and their suffering, God is in control and he will be victorious. So the big idea of the second half of Daniel is that the Lord is aware of the suffering of his people. He'll bring their trials to an end on the day when he establishes his kingdom. But there are prophecies about the future. And a lot of times people just skip the second half. Actually, most pastors don't preach the second half because it is challenging. And so just a quick warning. Apocalyptic literature. It's hard to understand. Symbolism is a key element in apocalyptic literature. And these symbols sometimes baffle readers. Daniel, the second half, is a lot like Revelation. In fact, if you read Revelation, you're going to see a lot of Daniel's language in the book of Revelation. And in the first half of the book of Daniel, others had dreams, and Daniel interpreted those dreams. In the second half of the book of Daniel, Daniel has dreams, and an angel is sent from God to interpret his dreams. Now, we have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I want to say thank you so much for the people in this room and a chance to open up your word. I pray, God, that we would have uh, hearts that are soft this morning, soft to hear your truth. I pray that our, our minds would be awake this morning. Apocalyptic literature is not for the faint of heart. Make us students of your word, students of your prophecies, students of history, because history is your story. You are writing an amazing story through our lives and through the lives of people around us. I just pray, God, that we would be open to hearing from you. We love you and we praise you and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, last week, if you guys remember, I told you about my amazing vision about this NFL season, this vision I had of a ram. You guys remember that? What are you laughing at? What's so funny? So I had this vision that this ram, this prophecy I shared with you guys, this ram was going to destroy its opponents, and he was going to go north, south, east, and west, and destroy everyone in his path. And at the end of, at the, end of the season, in February of 2023, this, this ram was going to hold up this amazing, shiny trophy, and all of peop- everybody would rejoice, and it would be an amazing moment. And then this ram went to battle with a buffalo on Thursday. And it didn't go well. (laughs) 
It's just, a, it's just a minor setback, okay? It's just a minor setback. The ram is still going to be victorious. He still has amazing things to offer. Don't give up on the ram just yet, all right? Any, any ram fans in, this, in here this morning? All right, we, we're not giving up just yet, okay? Josh Allen is something else. We'll just, give, we'll just say they're, they're coming back. Don't worry. Okay, so I gave you guys this vision. Well, this week, Daniel has a vision of a ram, But this ram is not trampled by a buffalo. This ram is trampled by a goat, and it's not Tom Brady, okay? As much as Rigo would like to, I see that Rigo rocking that Brady jersey up here. The The goat in this picture, in this prophecy, is about nations. So if you guys have your Bibles, Please open to Daniel chapter 8. It's going to be a really challenging passage. It's one of the most amazing prophetic chapters in the entire Bible. If you've ever wondered if the Bible is true, then this one chapter is proof enough. This one chapter. It's like, it's like the goat of prophecy chapters in the Bible, the greatest of all time. And, and one of the key features of this chapter is that it contains both the vision that, that Daniel receives— and an interpretation of his visions through the angel Gabriel. And Daniel, once again, has visions of beasts. And we talked about this last week, but Daniel gets these visions, and these beasts often represent kings or kingdoms. And we know that today, right? We talk about the rams. A ram represents a football team. An eagle represents uh, the United States of America. A panda represents the the nation of China. There, There are different symbols and animals that we use to represent people, groups, or nations, or teams. That's exactly what's happening here in Daniel chapter 8. He has visions of animals going at it, but these animals represent kings and kingdoms. So let's turn in our Bibles, Daniel 8, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the passage and then the interpretation. The first vision is about a ram, and this is what it says. Here's the vision. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. So that's the vision. Now let's look at the interpretation. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Now, once again... Daniel has a vision of the Medes and the Persians. So the ram in this vision, we're told, represents 
Medo-Persia. This is the third time this nation has been referenced in the book of Daniel. And this is important because at this time, this was not a world superpower. Okay? They, they were not ruling and reigning over the whole, whole, over the whole earth. This was, this was something that was still yet to happen. And the two horns stand for two kingdoms, the Medes and the Persians. One of the horns was longer than the other because the Persians were greater than the Medes. And Isaiah, he predicted that this would happen. He predicted that a kingdom would come from the east and overthrow everyone in the west and north and south. And he, did, he talked about this 150 years before it actually happened. So why are we hearing about these kingdoms once again? I'm glad you asked. Well, I want you to see... That prophecy doesn't just predict the future. It reveals that God is driving the future. See, what we're seeing today is not just another prophecy. Like, okay, we know that's going to happen because God said it would happen. And if you look in your history books, did it happen? It happened just as God said it would. Hundreds of years before it happened. But what we're going to see today is that Historical events are not just random things that happen in the world. God is driving history. History happens for a reason. History is his story, God's story. And God is using these powerful nations to prepare the way for something incredible, to prepare the way for someone incredible. Any idea who God is preparing the world for through these nations? Any idea who he's preparing for? Jesus, the Messiah. Daniel is 600 BC, 600 years before Christ. All of this is happening to prepare a way for the coming Messiah. God is setting the stage for his son to come. Now, God's people, they could have interpreted their exile in Babylon as the end of their special relationship with God. God had sent his people away. They disobeyed. They worshiped idols. God said he would punish them. He was patient with them. They continued in their ways, and so he sent them away. He kicked them out of the land that they were promised to inherit and that they did inherit for a number of years, and they went and they were slaves once again in a foreign land called Babylon. And the, the, the people of Israel could have thought in that moment, oh my goodness, God's done with us. The message of a Messiah, the hope of a Messiah, all is lost. It's all gone. Nothing, it's over. But God spoke through the prophets. And he said, you will be in this place for 70 years. That's what Jeremiah says. And guess how many years they were in exile? 70 years. Not 69, not 71, 70 years. They were released to go back to their hometown through the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. The, the, the ram with the horns. He's the one, Cyrus, who let them go back after 70 years and rebuild in Israel. And that's where we get the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, if you've ever read some of those Old Testament books. And although Cyrus allowed them to go back and began to set the stage once again for the coming Messiah and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls, the setting wasn't right yet. So then God used another nation to prepare for Messiah. This time it was the goat. Listen to what the vision says. As I was considering, behold, a male, a, goat, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. 
And the goat had a conspicuous, conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of the, the horn, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of the earth. So that's the vision. Now what's the interpretation? Verse 21. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in the place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. So Daniel, again, gives another vision. This time it's a vision of a goat, and the goat equals Greece. Now Daniel received this vision about 200 years before Greece became a world power. Now some of us might just hear that and be like, oh, that's pretty cool. No, that's mind-blowing. Today's sermon is titled Mind-Blowing Prophecy. If you've ever wondered if you can trust the Bible, this chapter alone is proof that you can build your entire life on the Word of God. God's Word can be trusted. God said it would happen, and it happened. Do you know how many books are out there in the world that have messages like this, prophecies like this about the future, and the prophecies are fulfilled? Do you know how many other books exist in the world that have stuff like this? Zero. The Quran? No. Hindu literature? No. Book of Mormon? No. There is no other book on the planet, in any library, in all of history, that makes prophecies as detailed as this about the future, thousands of prophecies, one on top of another, hundreds of years, thousands of years before it actually happened, and they actually are fulfilled. There's not another book in the world like the Bible, which is why when I get up here, I don't tell you my opinion, I tell you the Bible. Yeah, this is a remarkable book. Daniel has a vision about Greece 200 years before Greece. And what's interesting is that the goat that represents Greece actually became the symbol of Greece. The, the myth, the, the legend around the founding of Greece was that somebody wanted to, to build a city. And so they went to an oracle and they asked the oracle where to build the city. And the, and the oracle said, follow the goat. And wherever this goat lies down and rests, that is going to be the site of a great city. And so they followed this goat, and the goat lied down, and it rested there, and they founded a city, and the city is named Aegea, which means goat city. And Greece is surrounded by the Aegean Sea, which means goat sea. Daniel provides a fascinating description of what's going to happen with Greece and also a fascinating description of what this future goat would do. It says, a male goat came from the west, and if you know your geography, there's Babylon, Persia over here, Greece is over here to the west. And he comes from the west, and he begins to overtake every land that, that, that he touches, and he's He's going without touching the ground. If you know anything about the rise of, of Greece, then you know that they took over the world in just like three years. 
If you ever visited Greece, which I haven't, but I did study uh, uh, art history, in the Parthenon, right, the, the famous uh, structure that, we, that, that people worshipped in in Greece, that, that white building with like the, you know, the triangle top, the Parthenon, one of the most famous structures of all time. It tells the stories inside on the walls of Greece defeating Persia, which is what Daniel promised would happen hundreds of years before it actually happened. And he said it would happen through their first king. And the first king of Greece was a guy named Alexander the Great, the greatest king the world has ever seen. And he went from the west and to the east, and he overtook everything in his path. He's pictured in the previous chapter as a leopard with wings because he, could, he moved so fast. And what we know about Alexander the Great, his father was king of Macedon, and he wanted to conquer the Persians, so he raised a warrior son. And his parents, though, they were, they were trying to raise a warrior son when they were assassinated. And Alexander the Great was only 20 years old and when he was thrust into leadership. But he was such a brilliant young man and a brilliant warrior that he began to rally people around him. And in 334 B.C., he gathered an army of 35,000 Greeks to attack a Persian army of 100,000 men, and they killed 20,000 Persian soldiers and only lost 100 Greek soldiers. By the age of 32, Alexander the Great had conquered the known world. He was the great horn that nobody else was like in this vision, the great horn. And then he sat down at the end of conquering the world, and he, and he wept. And the history books write that he became an alcoholic because he had nothing less to do, left to do and no one left to conquer until he died at the age of 33 in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And his kingdom was then divided among four generals. It says that there's a great horn who becomes great and no one else is like him. The horn breaks at the top of his power. Four other horns come up. Well, Alexander the Great, after he died, his kingdom was split into four places taken over by his four generals. Is your mind blown yet? Because mine is. That's mind-blowing. Well, it gets better. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, he writes about Alexander the Great. Josephus was born around the time that Jesus died. He actually writes about Jesus. And, and what he writes about Jesus, he says, Jesus did amazing things that no one could understand. There's, there was no man like him. Actually, I don't even know if it's appropriate to call him a man. That's what a historian, where we get our history books from for ancient literature, Josephus wrote about Jesus. He also wrote something about Alexander. He said that Alexander, when he was going to, on his conquest to conquer the world, he went through Israel. Israel had no way of defending themselves from somebody as amazing and powerful as Alexander the Great. But what happened was God gave the high priest of, in Israel, in Jerusalem, a vision. And he said to the high priest in this vision, I want you to get the people, get them clothed in their, their greatest attire, and I want you to meet Alexander out on the, robe, on the road. And so they dressed up in white, and they, they came out in their very best, and the high priest came out wearing a purple robe. What they didn't know, though, was that Alexander the Great also had a vision. And he had a vision in his mind that he went to somebody who was wearing a purple robe. And this man with the purple robe said, hey, I, I have an amazing destiny for you. You are going to fulfill your father's dream of defeating the Persians. Now go and beat, go and fulfill your destiny. 
Well, in Alexander the Great, he hadn't attacked the Persians yet. When he comes upon Israel in Jerusalem, he's met by this entourage of Israelites wearing white and, and, and clothed in their best. And in front of all of them is a high priest wearing purple, a purple robe. And when Alexander saw them, this mighty man got off of his horse and he, and he saluted them and his generals are sitting by like, why are you honoring this weak and helpless nation? Like, what are you doing? And he said, that's the man I saw in my dream. The man who told me that I would defeat the Persians. So Alexander felt called to go and offer a sacrifice in the temple. And so he went in the temple and he offered a sacrifice in the temple. And as he was offering a sacrifice in the temple, the high priest opened up the book of Daniel and showed him the prophecy about Greece. And he said, this prophecy is about you. Is your mind blown yet? better be. It does, I mean, like, that's insane. That is absolutely insane. Like, the odds of that happening, I, we can't calculate that. So then Alexander left, and he asked the priest, hey, what, what must I do in return? And the, and the priest said, one thing, allow us to worship who we want. And so Alexander, Alexander granted them that wish, and they were allowed to worship Yahweh in Jerusalem, even though now they belonged to Greece. And Alexander left that place, and he went to Persia, and he fulfilled Daniel 8 with confidence because he knew that it had already been spoken of hundreds of years before it even happened. If you ever wondered, can you trust the Bible? The answer is yes, you can trust the Bible. Let me just tell you what this means. You can trust the Bible is true. You can trust the Bible is reliable. You can trust that what the Bible says about hot topic issues that the world wants to tear Christians down for, if the Bible says it, it is authoritative, even if it's not popular. The Bible is true. God's truth remains. Even though times may change, God's truth never changes. And there will be times that you are criticized because you will be told that you are, you are believing old, antiquated things that aren't true anymore, that have been proven— false, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible is the truth. The Word of God is the truth. We don't stand above the Bible. We come under the Bible because God's Word is true, and anybody who says it's not is the liar, not God. Amen. Alexander the Great prepared the world for Jesus by making the world Greek. There's something called Hellenism, Hellenism brought education and art and architecture in a common language. For the first time, the, the whole world was speaking the same language. This is the first time since the Tower of Babel, okay? And do you know where the Tower of Babel happened, by the way? A place called Babylon that we've been talking about. Most of the world, after Alexander the Great, was speaking one language— one historian says it this way, it was through the conquest of Alexander that Greek became the language and literature and commerce from the shores of the Mediterranean to the banks of the Tigris. It's impossible to estimate the effect of this spread of Greek on the promulgation of the gospel. What is the New Testament written in? Do you guys remember what language? Greek. When Alexander came, Greek influence came with him and the whole world began to communicate in the same language. 
Why is that important for the gospel? If you had to go from nation to nation proclaiming Jesus, there, if a language barrier exists, it's hard to proclaim Jesus. Language barriers were almost erased. Following the Greek empire came a Roman empire. The Roman empire was another empire that prepared the way for Jesus by introducing something called Pax Romana. Pax Romana means Roman peace. For 200 years, there was peace in Rome, and the, the language of the Romans was Greek. Jesus spoke Greek. Jesus was born into the Greek empire. He spoke Greek. He spoke Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, but mainly Greek. Jesus was born under the Roman Empire during a time of relative peace that the world had never seen prior to this. And there was a Caesar who initiated this peace named Caesar Augustus, who was a Caesar named in the New Testament. Caesar Augustus is the one who required the census that sent Mary and Joseph back to the land of Bethlehem where Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem fulfilling the promise of Isaiah that he would be born in Bethlehem born of a virgin and the guy who made it happen was Caesar Augustus of Rome. Jesus is born in Bethlehem born of a virgin fulfills everything that was written about him in Old Testament prophecy dies on a Roman cross is buried in a Roman tomb raises to new life starts the church, gives the Holy Spirit, and the message of the gospel, it goes out in Greek over Roman roads across the whole earth to where even now today in a tiny little town called Lamore that no one ever heard of, and, and still a lot of people have never heard of this place, no one's ever heard of, we are talking about Jesus here today. That is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Look this stuff up. Here's the thing. Pastors don't preach prophecy because it's hard. Because when pastors preach prophecy, they look at a church and the church has glazed over eyes and they're looking at their clocks and they're wondering, oh my gosh, when is it going to be lunchtime? I just wanted to talk about like three ways to be, you know, to be a nicer person. You don't need three ways to be a nicer person. You need to see God is in control. He is reigning and ruling on the throne. He has your back. He's with you and for you. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your destiny. You don't need little, you know, trinkets and things from the church. You need the living God to show you that he he is in fact alive. And that's what we're hoping to do here at South Valley. That's why we're preaching prophecy. You see, there are people in the New Testament who weren't ready for Jesus when he first came. There are going to be people in the church who aren't ready for Jesus when he comes again. You know why? Because they don't know their Bibles. They don't care to know their Bibles. They won't open up anything hard like, oh my gosh, this just has names in it that I can't pronounce. I'm not going to read that. That's so boring. Or, oh my goodness, this is too hard. Like, I, I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time for it. And then you get your, uh, you get your screen time sent from you from Apple every Sunday. <laughs> and it shows your Facebook time and your Instagram time and your Netflix streaming time. And you're like, no, I don't have time for Jesus. Look at all this time I need to watch this stuff. Church, I want us to be a deep church, not just wide, but deep. That takes all of us getting in the word together, seeing the scriptures, testing the scriptures. 
I struggled writing this message this week. Nine o'clock service might have been one of my worst services I've ever done so far uh, since I've been here. Not because uh, it was just hard to remember all of this stuff. This is not easy, okay? I'm trying to fit in 40 minutes what should be said in 10 hours. Be in the word. God was writing history He was writing his scriptures. He was also writing history, preparing the way for his son. The Bible is not a legend. The Bible is not a fairy tale. We are not gathering to talk about myths about how to be better people. We are gathering to learn about the God who made us and loves us, who sent his son to die for us and fulfilled every word that was promised about him and will come back again in glory and fulfill every other promise that has been made that we are waiting for. That is why we gather. Can I get an amen? Well, this next vision is spicy. Now he goes to the little horn. So he talked about the ram, the goat, and now he goes and he spices things up. This is what he says. Out of them, talking about these four horns, one horn broke, four horns came up, and then comes up this other horn. Out of them come, came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great, towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. That's God. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of the transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground. And it will act, and it will prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Now the interpretation, this is what it says. And at the latter end, so this is about a future event. It's actually about two events. At the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his coming he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, God, and he shall be broken, but, by, by, but not by any human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome, and I lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the, by the vision and did not understand it. Amen, Daniel. Me too. Okay. Any movie fans in here today? Any of you guys like movies? So I love movies uh, because I love stories. I love stories. I like books. I like movies. I like TV shows because I love stories. God made us to enjoy stories. I finally just watched Top Gun, by the way. Top Gun Maverick is super good. I have a feeling uh, Navy recruitment's going to skyrocket again. I read last time it went up by like 500% because of that movie. So I love movies. Yesterday, though, I was at Disneyland with my wife and kids. 
And we were having an awesome time, and we love going to Disneyland. And there was this convention yesterday at Disneyland where they're releasing, Disney's releasing all these new movies and all these new shows. And people like to talk to me about these new movies and shows, and they like to send me links about what's coming out. And I just want you to know, I will not watch it because I do not like watching previews. Anybody like that here today? I don't watch movie previews, movie trailers, because trailers spoil the movie. I like to know, I like to be, I want to see the, the story like unfold and be surprised by the story. I like to watch what happens as it happens. I don't like movie trailers, so please don't ever send me a movie trailer, no matter how awesome the movie might be. I won't watch it. I like to live in the moment when it comes to movies. Why am I talking about movies, you're wondering? This prophecy contains two predictions about the future. It's a prophecy, the Little Horn prophecy represents two evil dictators. And the first evil dictator is a preview of an even greater evil dictator to come. And as we've seen in the previous chapters, prophecies regarding the last days, if you've ever studied Revelation, they often have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment or a double fulfillment. They, they, they talk about something that's going to happen, and then they get a preview of that thing actually happening in history, but it's just a preview of something greater, of something more cataclysmic, of something that is, is bigger. Well, the preview in this passage, the little horn, the preview is a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes is a preview of something that's even greater. Let me just tell you really quickly about Antiochus. Antiochus was the Hitler of his day. He was the king of the Seleucid Empire, one of the Greek empires that the four generals took over. And uh, he seized the throne from his nephew, and then he wanted to enlarge his kingdom through military power, and he rose to power quickly. And according to historians, Antiochus was the first person in history to persecute people exclusively for their religious beliefs. He hated the Jews. This man wanted to exterminate the Jews. And so one day he marched upon the Jews with his army, marched upon Jerusalem, and he sought to defile everything that was holy to God's people. He banned circumcision. He outlawed holy days and festivals. He prohibited resting on the Sabbath. He he ended sacrifice at the temple, the morning and evening sacrifices. He set up a statue of Zeus in the temple. He put temple prostitutes in the temple. And then he slaughtered a pig on the altar, which is like one of the worst things you could do in the mind of a Jewish person. An unclean animal in the Holy of Holies overseen by Zeus, a pagan god. This man sought to defile everything the Jews deemed holy. I'd encourage you to read about him. He is the epitome of evil. He outlawed the scriptures. He burned the word of God in the streets. He was a complete abomination. Historians write that he slaughtered some 80,000 Jews, including elderly women, pregnant women, children. He killed children in the presence of their mothers. And he sold another 40,000 Jews into slavery. He publicly tortured people who were opposed to him in Israel. And he tortured them in front of their own family members, even dismembering some of them. 
This man, Antiochus Epiphanes, was evil reincarnated. You can learn about him in your history books. Look him up on Wikipedia today. Daniel talked about him hundreds of years before he was even born. Daniel had a vision about the ram, the goat, and the horn, Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, his last name is actually a title that he gave to himself, and it means God-man. He exalted himself as above God. But what, what others called him was Epimen, Ep, what do they call him? Epimenes, which means madman. He was a madman. When Daniel got this vision, he was distraught. He was distraught because he saw a vision of a ruler who, who would destroy and decimate the Jews unlike any ruler before. But this ruler was actually just a preview of an even worse ruler in the future. Because Antiochus Epiphanes is a preview of the Antichrist. Last week we talked about the Antichrist, the little horn. This week he's mentioned again, the little horn, or the man of bald face, or bold face. Man of lawlessness in the New Testament, the Antichrist in the New Testament, the abomination of desolation, as Jesus talks about quoting the book of Daniel. Jesus talks about the Antichrist. Well, the way that Antiochus desecrated God's temple and slaughtered God's people and trampled on the Bible and set himself up to be worshipped as the God-man is a preview of an even greater evil still to come. And although Antiochus was brutal, Daniel prophesied that his time would be limited. He said for 2,300 evenings and mornings, he will trample God's people. Look at how specific that is. Jeremiah said that they would be in exile for how many years? 70 years. Guess how many years they were in exile? 70 years. There are other prophecies that talk about the time of tribulation as seven years. That's how many years it's going to be. Every time the Bible talks about dates and times, it what God says actually happens. And this is what happened with Antiochus. For 2,300 days, he reigned from about September 171 BC to December 25th, 165 BC. He reigned. And after his death, the Jews celebrated the cleansing of the temple. God ended Antiochus. Just so you know, God, no one defeated Antiochus. He died of a bowel disease. God inflicted him with a bowel disease, and it was disgusting. We read in the history books that he, he started to stink from the inside out, and he died a slow, terrible death. It was disgusting. And then the Jews came back in, and they cleansed the temple, and they lit the, 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 the menorah in the temple, the, the, the candlelight, right, that, that, that represents uh, the light of God. They lit that again in the temple, and the, the, when they lit it, the History books say that, it, that they only had enough oil for one day, and it lasted for eight days while they could find holy oil. And from that day forward, now the Jews celebrate a special holiday. Do you guys know what it's called? Hanukkah. And in John chapter 10, when Jesus comes to, the fest, comes to a festival, a festival that we don't see in the Old Testament, he's going to a festival called Hanukkah, a feast of dedication, where the temple was rededicated and cleansed. And so from that day forward, Antiochus Epiphanes, he was destroyed, the temple was cleansed, and God's people were saved, and it was a picture of an even greater light to come, a light who would come and, and light up the whole world. His name is Jesus Christ. Actually, when Jesus talks and says, I am the light of the world, he says it 
during the time that God's people were celebrating Hanukkah, where God's light came into the darkest time in Jewish history. Is your mind blown yet? Because mine is. Can you guys believe this right now? Or am I talking to myself? Like, I... Thank you, Siri. Siri's talking to me, at least. Thank you, Siri. Okay. Guys, this is insane. Absolutely insane. When God said it, it happened. Now, what God says about the future, it's going to happen. So let me just wrap this up really quickly. Antiochus's brutal reign provides eight character, or seven characteristics of the future Antichrist. He is a preview of something to come. So what do we preview about the Antichrist through Antiochus? Number one, he'll be intellectually gifted. It describes him as one who understands riddles. This ruler will be extremely intelligent and clever. His message will be revolting to the believer, but the world will fall under his spell, and his winsome words will captivate, pers- captivate people. He, this leader will be a winner, okay? The Antichrist is not going to be this scary omen like you've seen in movies or this scary, you know, like sinister person that you've seen in movies. This is going to be a person that people are going to idolize and want to be like and want to follow and get behind, and he's going to be smart, and he's going to be attractive, and he's going to have all these amazing things that like oh my gosh this is the hope of the world this is the one who's going to bring heaven on earth this is the person to follow he will be the idol of all mankind and he will say amazing things to woo people but he will say things with people who know God's word and know God's prophecy they're going to be like oh my gosh this is not good number two he'll start small and then he'll grow big that's how Satan works all Satan needs is a tiny start a tiny little inch of your life. Just give me this. And he starts small and he gets big. And that's what's going to happen in history. He's going to start small and then he's going to eventually grow into something big. I think I said last week, this was on accident, I wasn't trying to say this, but I think I said something about the Antichrist in Kalinga. Uh, I don't remember exactly. I said something like, uh, maybe he's hiding out in Kalinga. I don't actually believe that. Um, sorry. Uh, but he'll start small and he'll grow big. His power shall be great. And in his mind, he shall become great. He will want it all. As soon as you hear of all nations coming together to create one world order with one currency under one ruler who can secure heaven on earth for all of mankind, be leery because he will be a counterfeit savior of the world, ruling over a counterfeit heaven, working with counterfeit signs and miracles with a counterfeit kingdom that will last forever. And all he needs is a little start and then he'll grow big. Number three, he will oppose the truth. It says he will throw truth to the ground and by his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. Just as Antiochus trampled the Bible in the streets, so will the Antichrist. He'll He'll throw God's truth to the ground. And although the Antichrist may not be here yet, the spirit of Antichrist already is here because we already see a push to throw God's truth to the ground where people who follow God's truth are labeled as, as, um, as bigots or labeled as, as sharing hate speech or, or labeled as intolerant and narrow and, and truth is being thrown to the ground. And, and I'm just going to tell you, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to ramp up over time where God's people are going to be looked at as, as, as the, basically there's going to be a persecution 
that will rise up against God's people. Instead of changing morality, people will seek to change the word of God. And if you're struggling today with something that the Bible says, I just want to say this. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with us. And so if there's any time where we find ourselves wanting to accept a truth that isn't in Scripture, it's not because the Bible is wrong. It's because we are wrong. And and if you're looking for somebody to just share the truth that you want to hear, you can find it. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it wherever you want to find it. But if you want the truth, you've got to open up the Scriptures, which is what we do here at South Valley. Number four, he will wage war against the saints. It says, without warning, he'll destroy many. He'll gain powerful platforms to speak against the saints, to wear them out. He'll make it his aim to exterminate the people of God. Number five, he will set himself up to be worshipped. Okay, just he'll, he'll, he'll uh, rise against the prince of princes, we read. He'll abolish religious freedom, set himself up to be worshipped as God. He'll be a military and political leader that, that will have power, accompanied by great signs and wonders. A revelation says that he'll apply re- economic pressure to force the subjects to follow him and reject religion. And his days, the good news, what we read, is that his days will be numbered. Why is this important? This is important because we need to know God's prophecies about the future so that we are prepared when the future is unfolding right in front of our eyes. There were people in the Old Testament who were not prepared for Jesus even though they had everything it took. They needed to be prepared for Jesus. If you're not prepared for Jesus, if if people aren't prepared for him in the Old Testament, what makes us think we'll be prepared for him in the New Testament? Churches around the country Refuse to talk about prophecies because they're hard. The problem is when we don't talk about prophecies, we don't prepare our people. God gave prophecies to prepare his people. And some of these prophecies, many that Daniel saw, never actually happened in his lifetime. It was his job to pass the message down from one generation to another generation to another generation. Do you know the Bible? Can you pass the Bible down to your kids? Are your kids going to be prepared to pass down the Bible to their kids? Prophecy is important because prophecy shows us what's going to happen. And one thing that we know will happen is that all those, all these terrible things will happen. His days will be numbered. Just as Antiochus Epiphanes' days were numbered, so will the Antichrist's days be numbered. Although he appears to be a winner, he will lose because number seven, He will die at the finger of God. Just as Antiochus, all God had to do was poke him in the bowels and he was over. That's what's going to happen to the Antichrist. A human government's not going to overthrow him. A new law is not going to overthrow him. A a new world uh, military is not going to overthrow him. Only God will overthrow him. He's the one who, who will destroy all evil. He's the one who will de- destroy Satan. He's the one who will destroy the false prophet and the Antichrist. He is the one who will throw his opponents into the lake of fire we read about in Revelation. He is the only one with the power because human beings are not powerful against, against Satan, against Satan's anointed, the, the Antichrist. We are not powerful on our own, but we worship the God who is in control of history, who is in control of all things, and he will make a way. Now I'm gonna read just part of this passage really quick. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus believed in Daniel. He spoke about Daniel, and this is what he says. 
So when, when, when will all of this stuff happen? Jesus says this. So when you see the abomination of desolation, who's that? Antichrist that we just talked about in Daniel. Spoken of by who? The prophet Daniel. Jesus believed the words of Daniel. Standing in the holy place. What's that? The temple. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Where did we learn about the coming of the Son of Man? Do you guys remember? Daniel chapter 7. Wherever the corpse is, there are the vultures. That's, that's, if you see a corpse and vultures, there's a sign that something is happening. This is a sign that something is happening. This, this, this passage is a sign of the Antichrist. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Daniel chapter 7. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the end of heaven to the other. Guys, this is mind-blowing passage. I hope you guys study it on your own. Let me give you three applications, and I'll wrap this up right now. I know I've talked, like, for a very long time. Number one, trust and obey the Bible. Daniel 8, if you don't remember anything from today's passage, today's sermon, which I don't blame you, it's a lot. Remember this. Trust and obey the Bible. God's promises are true. As human beings, we don't exalt ourselves above God's word. We come under God's word. And although times change, God's truth doesn't change. And so I want to encourage you, when you're tempted to exalt yourself above the word, remember you worship a God who's in control and come under what he says even when it's hard. Number two, remember that God is always working. Daniel and his friends could have been convinced that God had forgotten about them and forgotten about the Messiah and forgotten about all the promises of the Old Testament. But behind the scenes, even when they were in Babylon and even when they were in Persia and even when Greece came to power and even when Rome came to power, God was working behind the scenes. He's always working. That means in your life, when you're overwhelmed and stressed and tired and you feel like, why am I going through another battle? When is God actually going to show up for me? When is God actually going to help me? Does God see? Does God care? Yes, he does. He is working even when you don't feel it, even when you don't sense it. He is for you. He will not leave you. He does not forsake his people. He is always working behind the scenes in your life. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't give in. Jesus will win for you. Can I get an amen? Hang in there. God has your back. And finally, number three, be ready for the Jesus of the second coming by trusting in the Jesus of the first coming. Daniel 8 is a reminder that we still have much to look forward to. Some of us are ready, some of us are not. I wanna encourage you today, make Jesus your priority. Be ready for him. Be ready as a faithful servant to come to him, believe in him, trust in what he did at his first coming so that you are ready for his second coming. He came first as a lamb. He's coming again as a lion. Make him a priority. Make church a priority. One thing we're doing 
in a few weeks, we're offering membership here. If you wanna be more involved, you wanna learn more about what we're doing, become a member of South Valley, get engaged, get involved, be about what we're doing here because we want to be a church that is ready for Jesus, living for Jesus, following Jesus with our whole heart, our whole life. And that is why we preach passages like Daniel 8. Now I've taken enough of your time. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna close with a song. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Wow, this is crazy, mind-blowing. For some of us in here today, we're like, wow, this is, this is just too much. Others in here, we're like, oh my gosh, I need to go back. I need to study all of this on my own and figure this stuff out. Wherever we're at, I pray that we would know you are in charge, you are in control. Make us ready, make us believe, make us trust you. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we worship you here at South Valley. We worship you because you're worthy. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.